The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Limbit Opic. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back, one and all, for this third hour on my Saturday morning show if you're in the UK. Saturday evening, if you're in Sydney and beyond, wherever you are, you're welcome to have joined me here at the home of free speech, TNT. Uh, I'll be talking to my guests in just a moment, uh, but you can talk to me as well. Just go to the chat and you can get involved. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, today we're going to be discussing Gen Z. Uh, my next guest will be Charlie Downs. I've known him for a while. He's a political activist in his early 20s. Why get involved so young? Is it healthy? Maybe he should just be living his life and studying or doing whatever people in their early 20s do these days. Is it playing Minecraft or is that something for the even younger people? I'll ask him that question. If you've got questions, if you want to be involved in the discussion, go to the TNT site. You'll find uh, the chat there uh, or you can phone in as well. If you've got time, I'll uh, get you on as well. Uh, I just want to read a few of your comments, uh, uh, which uh, some of them tickle me, actually quite entertaining. Uh, I was giving... Um, uh, Vince Maple, the Labour uh, leader of the Medway Council, which is a council in the southeast of England, uh, I don't think a hard time, but a, a, pro a proper set of questioning. And uh, there's some fascinating uh, <laughs> comments. Molly Bite says about the, the previous guest, his bookcase looks about as organised as their party. Uh, I, yeah, I do know what you mean. I think there is some confusion in the Labour Party at the moment, but uh, he's not here to defend himself, so we won't go further there. Uh, thank you to those who thinks I, I think I did give him a fairly... Uh, a hard time. I'm not trying to give people a hard time. I just want to get to the truth. I want to know what they think and give them their best chance to respond. That's how I try to do it. Hidden in plain sight says one race, human race, one world. I agree. I tend to not really find labels very interesting myself. One reason I don't like quotas is because quotas essentially categorize people. They make you a separate group and they can create resentment too. I have never been in favor of positive discrimination, despite people claiming there are merits. I would much rather get the people who you want elected or appointed into a position where they are treated as an equal. That's that's how I think the world should work. I said so when I was a member of parliament. I say so today here on TNT as well. Uh, uh, Chris says, who cares about a mayor anyway? Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, Intruder says... Uh, White heterosexual men, bottom of the pile as usual. I'm not sure I completely agree with that, but I don't like it when you have to apologize for being uh, white or male or middle class or educated in a certain way or British. I don't like it when people have to apologize for the sins of their great, great grandparents. Where do you draw the line? Uh, and just one more comment here. Uh, the comment here is uh, so much debt that this dude can't even afford a haircut. That's what Josh the bloke said. And I want to just comment that in the end, Vince Maple did estimate 400 to 500 million pounds. I suspect either he got a message from somebody or he looked it up, but fair play. He did give a specific figure. So thanks to Vince. He'll be back. Two stories before we go to uh, speak to my Gen Z guest. One I've touched on already, uh, this burning uh, oil tanker, uh, which has clearly been attacked by the Houthi rebels. It's British registered. Now, I just want to add to what I said earlier on, uh, which is that I feel that Britain is getting itself into a corner. Conflicts escalate when people can't see a way out, and they certainly escalate when individuals end up in a race to the top in terms of who can look like the strongest person. In my life experience, sometimes the most mature thing to do is to walk away from a situation, let it cool off and carry on. 
We're doing the opposite, partly perhaps because there's an election going on in America for president uh, that tends to cause a great deal more interest in the potential candidates who then try to romance the support of the Jewish community. And they often do that by supporting Israel. I think that's a confounding factor, but that doesn't really explain why the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, and the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, two very different parties, are both scared of insisting on a ceasefire when under all other normal circumstances, when large numbers of civilians have been killed in a conflict, that's exactly what politicians in the United Kingdom call for. I wonder what you think. Uh, you can share your comments in the chat on our TNT site. And just the other one, uh, I'm interested to know your views about whether you think that there is a global realignment taking place. I mentioned Tuvalu, which is an archipelago of islands, uh, I think nine inhabited islands, but actually 101 islands in total. And an, election, an electorate of 11,000 people, give or take, and it looks like the outcome of their election was determined on alliances. And the pro-Taiwanese leader has been defeated. I'm not a complete expert on this, of course, but it would suggest perhaps a global realignment. Why do I mention this? I mention it because previously I have also observed that the BRICS countries, they're the countries which aren't the traditional Western hegemony, if you like, are in the ascendancy. It could be that a combination of uh, internal mismanagement by the West, an obsession with hobbling our economies using green policies and infighting means that we are handing the keys, not just to the global economy, uh, to the BRICS countries, but also to the political future of our planet as well. Now, that might not be a bad thing. Maybe it's time for the Western hegemony to take a step back, to renounce its attempted stranglehold, its empire uh, in the West and the East. Or perhaps this is simply an indication of the incompetence of our sitting politicians. I wonder what you think. I'll be talking to uh, Charlie Downs about this in a moment, because I'm interested to know what younger people who are uh, experienced in politics, see and feel. Perhaps they aren't wedded to the same old alliances which I grew up with. I'm 58 years old. Or perhaps we've just made a mess of the whole thing. It might rebalance. I doubt that. So before we go to him, let me make a prediction. I think that we are inexorably living through a sea change in where the center of political gravity lies on the planet. And I would put it somewhere around China, China, India, Russia. Obviously, there's a dispute with Russia at the moment, but that won't last forever. And I think that in 20 or 30 years time, the West will look back and say, around 2020s was when we gave up the control that we had before, and it was all our own fault. I wonder what you think about that as well. Uh, go to the TNT uh, chat. You can also phone in. like to know your views. Maybe you violently disagree with that, but it makes us live, certainly, in very interesting times. Coming up next on The Lempitovic Show, it's Charlie Downs here on TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Charlie Downs, how old are you? I'm 22, Lambert. How old are you? I'm 58, almost triple your age. <laughs> but the older you get, the smaller the differential. <laughs> when you're 58, I'll only be twice as old as you, or something like that. Uh, you've been involved in politics for quite a while. Tell us, before we talk about the facts, tell us about your political journey. Yeah, so I, uh, I studied politics at university. Um, uh, be actually, before that, I studied English literature. 
Uh, I actually dropped dropped out of English literature because it was just so mental, some of the stuff I was being taught. I wasn't entirely politically aware at this time, but this was my first real exposure to um, political ideas. And I just remember thinking in, instinctively, this is rubbish, you know, the stuff that's been talking. Now, English literature departments in universities um, were, in fact, the source of a lot of the madness that we see today, I think. You know, postmodernism, poststructuralism, um, the kind of Marxist ideas about identity that we see today all come out of the English literature department. So I was, you know, I was at the kind of ground zero of this stuff, um, you know, where it was kind of taking roots. Um, so I wanted to study politics. I was interested in politics because I've always had a kind of, um, I've been drawn to big ideas and drawn to big conversations. I think it's interesting. Uh, I think it's important to be engaged in, um, you know, in your civilization and the direction of your civilization. And it's a way, you know, people don't think that way anymore. People don't think civilizationally. Our politicians certainly think civilizationally. They think in terms of the five years. You know, it's inter- I find it interesting what you were saying before um, you introduced me about the uh, sort of change in the political center of gravity to being in the East. Um, and I think I absolutely agree with you, because for whatever you want to say, about Vladimir Putin, about Xi Jinping, or any other non-Western, non-democratic leaders, you have to say that they are men who are thinking civilizationally. They're thinking on a time span of 50, 100, 200 years. And that's how you have to think if you want to have a successful society. And our leaders, I mean, you look at them, they're not even leaders. You know, Rishi Sunak is more like a kind of almost like a colonial administrator, you know, Britain, colony of the global American empire. You know, Rishi Sunak's just the guy who's uh, got the job to administer us. Um, where you look at Putin, again, whatever you want to say about him, he is a man who is thinking as the leader of Russia. You know, he is a man who is um, committed to uh, securing the future of his people. Um, and I just don't think that we have the same types of leaders in our country. So you know, why did I get involved in politics? Well, it's because I'm really dissatisfied and actually disgusted by the absolute state of our leaders. I mean, we used to have statesmen. We used to have kings. You know, this is England. And I look at some of the leaders from our past, and I especially think of the likes of Alfred the Great, a true great man of history, as Thomas Carlyle would say. I look at what they were able to do, the, the way they imposed their will on the world. I think it's incredible. Um, and we just don't have that anymore. We don't have leaders who think civilizationally. We think we have leaders who think in terms of career and in terms of elections and in terms of taxes and in terms of just minutiae, details that in the grand stretch of history, nobody will remember. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about you a bit more, but now you've gone down this path, let's pursue it. Uh, famously, Mao Tse-sung so, uh, was asked about the French Revolution and what was the impact of the French Revolution, to which he responded, it's too early to say. Uh, yes. It probably wasn't him. It was actually technically probably a guy called Zhu Enlai who said it. But either way, the point is the one that you're making. Uh, the Chinese don't organize things on a five-year term. I briefly but frequently worked in China in the mid-1990s, and I loved, fell in love with the place. I have enormous admiration for the Chinese people. And when I sat down for dinner with them in the evening, the senior administrators explained the Chinese agenda. And it was an agenda that would span 50 to 100 years. And they're doing everything that they said. So it's interesting that you would say that because I do tend to feel the short termism, which I experienced as an MP myself, is harming the West. When you when you talk about this, though, is that your view or is it a generally held view amongst younger people? Uh, no, I'd say that I'm very much in a minority um, thinking the way that I do. Um, I think that most people are either 
just completely apathetic, completely uninterested in politics. People my age I'm talking about, but people generally as well. Um, just apathetic, not interested, um, and more interested in what's going on in their own lives. And you know what? I think that they are well within their rights to be that way. I don't think that everybody needs to be interested in politics, which, by the way, is actually one of the negatives of having a democracy, is that it, it politicizes. When you have universal suffrage, as we do in many countries in the West, it politicizes the entirety of your society. And it, it politicizes people who don't want to be politicized. You know, there was a time, as, you know, as I was saying, when we were ruled by monarchs through Europe, um, you know, there, there was a time where politics was something that happened over there. Something with politics was something that didn't affect me. It was something that happened far away. And I think most people, that's what most people want. Most people don't want to have to think about politics. Um, but back to people my age, yeah, I think most people are apathetic. I think the, the minority who are interested are primarily, broadly speaking, progressive, I would say. By which I mean they have imbibed the kind of post-World War II regime of truth, as Michel Foucault would call it, that we have lived under. Um, you know, the kind of, um, it's, it's a kind of liberalism that has no limit. Um, it's where, you know, individual self-expression is held to be the ultimate moral good. And anything that impedes upon that, anything from, you know, duty to one's people, duty to one's nation, uh, duty to one's family, they're all regarded as being, um, you know, uh, oppressive because they because they impede one's ability to express oneself um, because, uh, you know, one has responsibilities. I was going to ask you, you speak eloquently about politics. Uh, also, by the way, I'm slightly depressed by asking you these questions because I remember when I was 22, I was deeply involved in politics. I was the future once, Charlie. Where did those years go? So I, I, I'm almost talking to you. I almost feel like I'm talking to my, my old self now because you're at the stage when I began to be professionally involved in politics. I've wondered if my education was instrumental in achieving that. Is it possible, to put it bluntly, that because you've had a good education and you've been told that you have the right to expect to lead, you're more likely to be in a political situation than somebody who, who didn't have that privilege. I think that's quite possible. But I would also say that a lot of my ideas, a lot of the conclusions that I have come to, I sought out myself. You know, when I was at university in particular, you know, I chose modules that I thought sounded interesting, uh, you know, primarily sort of political philosophy and that sort of thing. Um, but the simply the choice of who to include on the um, on the syllabus you know, reveal the real bias. You know, we didn't cover any thinkers who I regard as being the greatest thinkers of all time. Um, and I had to seek them out myself. And so I've kind of come to these conclusions myself. And I think that, you know, education is one of the most fundamental things um, to a society flourishing um, and becoming great. And I think that the education system we have in this country is in need of dire reform. I think that it's an absolute mess, quite frankly. Um, you know, historically, for example, like in, in terms of the subject of history being taught at school, I remember being taught about the Tudors. I remember being taught about World War II about a dozen times and very little in between. And and yet there is so much to understand about history. Um, yet the kind of narrative that we were told is that essentially that World War II is the most relevant thing to ever happen in history. It's the most important thing to ever happen in history. You know, we live in the post-World post War II paradigm. And that's kind of what I was getting at with my peers is they have been sold this idea that to be in order to be against the status quo, in order to be rebellious and uh, you know anti-establishment and exciting and interesting and edgy, you have to be a progressive. You have to be in favour of the absolute liberation of the individual. Whereas actually, that has been the status quo since 1945. You know, it's that it's that quote from uh, the Usual Suspects: "The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world it didn't exist." It's the same principle. You know, the the the, the establishment has sold itself to the youth 
as being the edgy and and uh, sort of um, subversive option, when in reality, they are the ones pushing that agenda. I mean, when your opinions and views line up with all of the world's largest corporations, all of the world's governments, all of the world's universities, all of the world's NGOs, and all of the world's just centers of power in general, how can you call yourself a rebel? How can you call yourself you're... a subversive? How can you call yourself a dissident? I think you're probably the first person ever to appear on my show to implicitly compare uh, the head of the World Economic Forum with Kaiser Soche. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to Charlie Downs in just a minute. Uh, there's a compliment coming up for Charlie in the chat uh, and some questions as well. Uh, we're going to look at Gen Z and I want to test some policy areas as well. Uh, you politicians who want to stand for election, you better listen closely because Charlie's giving you gold here. Ignore him at your peril. All of that with me on the Lembitopic show right here on TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us will be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNT Radio. Live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back. Lambert Opic with you for another 40 minutes or so. Thank you for joining me. I'm here every Saturday for three hours and every Sunday for, for three hours. In the morning, if you're in the United Kingdom, in the evening and night, if you're in Australia, wherever you are in the world, do get involved in the chat. Fascinating comments. I'm going to read some of them out to you in a minute. I've still got Charlie Downs for this hour. The Gen Z spokesperson, we're going to explore policies in a way that I think our politicians should hear from the youth uh, on the basis that uh, so much of the time when I was an MP, I saw patronization just seeping out of Parliament. It's avoidable if you listen. We'll come back to, to Charlie in just a minute. Lots of comments coming here. Uh, Mark Blodder says, we think in five years electoral cycle short-sighted and shallow-minded that's progressivism for you politics is everything and at 22 hours traveling the world and getting drunk mostly best education ever uh, malibai says i was in the military and that was educating blodders ads still getting drunk though uh, i lived in the shop for years mm, okay that's a rather parochial discussion which may not make much sense to people in australia uh and uh it just bloke says, what a lot of sense this young man speaks, educated, erudite, eloquent and balanced. It gives me hope that all is not lost. Uh, Mighty Bites adds, he's a good lad. And here comes the compliment, Charlie. Mighty Bites says directly to you now, 
Charlie, I love the talk you did when at VOW, that's Voice of Wales, we did the answer time at Llanechli. Something that I might be doing tomorrow night, actually, Charlie. So you've got a fan in Mali Bites there, Charlie. Uh, you've been active. You've been getting around. Yeah, no, that event in Llanechli was, was incredible. I mean, it was just so, it was kind of beautiful to see normal people coming out in the evening to come out to a pub to talk about you know the future of their country and 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 how we were going how we were being governed um and just how angry people were i mean and i think that's a feeling that's kind of it's not just everywhere in britain it's everywhere in the west because as i was saying before you know the the the, the quote unquote leaders that we have are they're not leaders you know they they are taking our countries for a ride and um and people know that but that being said, I think, you know, there's there's this idea, especially among the kind of circles that I move in, um, the more mainstream um, conservatives, let's say, um, they think that the solution to our problems is simply waking enough people up, which is a lovely idea. And if it did work that way, it would be great. And we would be winning because most people are on our side. Most people do agree that the regime that we live under is mismanaging our countries to such an extent that, as you said before, the the west are it's collapsing as the as the global hegemon um but the fact of the matter is and this is something that the left have known for a very long time power is not it's not vested in the majority it's, it's vested in the organized minority it's vested in those people who are actually willing to get organized and and move as a single unit because because the, the the organized 100 will always defeat the disorganized 1000 and so understanding that kind of uh it, it shows the path that we need to take in order to take back our countries it's not through mass action it's through very very specific uh, uh sort of uh you know uh directed action yesterday i was having a conversation with a friend and it was quite a heated conversation the content's not important but i was quite annoyed i was quite offended by what she was saying and uh the conversation ended badly the relevance charlie is i could have handled the conversation better i think but we expect perfection from politicians. My worry is that we think if you have ordinary and clumsy conversations like I had last night, then maybe you're not fit for politics. It seems to me, Charlie, we've got it completely the wrong way around. If we have people who've made all the human mistakes like I did yesterday in the conversation, then they understand the human condition. But what seems to be happening, Charlie, is now we have a bunch of politicians who've never done anything else. They haven't made those mistakes. They haven't messed up a business. And so for them, politics is the outcome rather than the process to achieve one. Uh, what's your view about that? Maybe you have a different one. Mm, that's a very, very interesting take because there is another, there's another element to people my age, which is, you know, there's the, the vast majority who are apathetic, the small minority who are interested, the even smaller minority who tend to have the views that I do. And then another minority within, you know, within the, uh, within the interested sphere, which are people who are working in politics. I know many people who went, you know, they were born, they went through school, they went through university, and now they're working in parliament. They've never actually lived a day in their life. And these are people who are intending to become MPs. These are people, you know, this is sort of, sort of an elite in waiting, you know, uh, and uh, those people, I don't trust them because I don't think that they have the, what Michael Oakeshott would call the practical knowledge of, of what it means to be a human being. All they have is technical knowledge. They have book learning. You know, they've, they've read some theory and they think that that gives them the right to tell people how to live their lives and, and to govern. And I don't think that that's the right way to do it. I mean, again, I've spoken about uh, 
Thomas Carlyle and the great man of history theory already. Great men of history don't come about through going through school, university and reading some books. Great men of history come about through living, you know, living among their people, living a life and understanding you know, what needs to be done, cultivating excellence, cultivating values. Those are the sorts of people that should lead us. Wise people, wise people, the best people, the best suited people, not middle managers like Rishi Sunak or Kia Starmer. You maybe have just been rumbled, Charlie. Seb Dangerfield has maybe just blown your gaff. Let me read verbatim what Seb has put mm -hmm. into the chat. This interviewee invokes recollections of a certain Tom Hardwick a few years ago who promised much but revealed himself as a shill. I'm wondering whether the World Economic Forum may have developed a shadow Young Global Leaders program. Charlie, are you a patsy for the WEF? You got me. No, of course I'm not. But I will say, I will say this of the WF: the the, the um, uh, what's it called? The young young global leaders. Uh, that is a it's a genius scheme. It's a brilliant idea because that is again power is is vested in organised minorities, and that's what the World, World Economic Forum are seeking to be. Now they are globalists, and they have the absolute worst vision of the future one could possibly imagine—a kind of grey sludge, Blade Runner esque dystopia, as far as I can see. Um, but they understand how power works. And if we, if we, if those of us on our side of politics are serious about winning, and that's what politics is, it's a game about where it's, you know, you have to win before you get anything. You can have your values, you can have your goals, but you have to win in order to make those things happen. If we're serious about winning, we should look at the World Economic Forum and what they have so expertly and effectively done and say, right, we need to start playing that game. We need to start playing by those rules because they're playing by those rules. And all the while we aren't, they are going to keep winning and they're going to keep taking countries. You know, Carl Schwab said, I don't know how this is probably a couple of years ago now, said that we have uh, captured, you know, X many governments and that we have our people sitting in these governments. What an insane thing to say openly. You know, and he's he feels he's in a position where he can say that sort of thing openly and not have any repercussions. And he doesn't have any repercussions. Davos was last week. You know, he's still in his position. But the fact is, these people understand how politics works. And so many people on our side don't. And that's what the that's that should be the goal of uh, you know, broadcast like even. It should be about making people aware, look, get these delusions out of your head. You've been fed lies about how politics actually works. You've been fed the idea that you just need to get enough people on side. No, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, it's not. I recall now, and for the first time in many years, I'm thinking about this. I was invited to Windsor Castle. Uh, I was in my, well, I was roughly your age, maybe 24, actually. And it was an unusual event, bringing together people I'd never met before, maybe 40 or 50 of us. And we did exercises and we had to plan for the future. And the inference was that we'd been identified as future leaders. I still don't know exactly who was behind that, but I went along. I found it fascinating. And of course, I did become leader of a political party in the UK and had a political career. Have you been headhunted in the same way? I've had various people reach out to me uh, expressing interest in what I'm doing, uh, but I've never really, I've not, I've not ever really engaged with much of it because um, anybody, I mean, especially anybody who's anonymous, I don't, I don't really trust that. I think that, you know, uh, you never know what you're going to get yourself into there. Um, but I very much believe in kind of forging your own way and and uh, not relying on these pre-existing institutions because I don't think that, you know, there's a kind of conservative impulse just to, 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 believe that the institutions themselves are good, but the people occupying at this moment in time are the problem. Whereas I think that, that, that frankly, in the West, we have we have antiquated institutions that need to go. Yeah, you know, that's why I don't I don't call myself a conservative. You know, I'm I'm very clearly a man of the right. 
but I'm not a conservative because I don't believe in conserving the current order as it stands. Because basically, since World War II, it's been an it's been an order that has seen the destruction of British identity, of European identity, of um, you know, of any sense of nationhood that we have, um, any sense of belonging, any sense of place, any sense that we live in a society that is uh, that is ours and that we belong to. Um, I think that that's you know, it's been one of the greatest tragedies of you know of of history. I'm suspecting, by the way, the, Charlie, that uh, this isn't the kind of conversation that most people uh, your age would be having. They'd be more likely to talk about the latest Grand Theft Auto upgrade or something like that. But I'm finding this really interesting because your eloquent exposition tends to reflect my own view, apart from one thing. I have little faith in revolutions. I think it's extremely hard to overturn a system and rather easier to take control of one. Good example was Nick Clegg and his cabal who took control of the party I used to be in uh, and used to be leader of, of in Wales. Uh, and then he imposed his authority on it, wrecked the party, in my opinion, as well, demonstrably so due to the collapse of the party in parliament. But he didn't do a revolution. He just took over the establishment. Isn't that an easier way to do it? Now, you've touched on a, a couple of very interesting things. Now, and I, I want to sort of pull this apart a little bit. Now, I agree that revolutions in the popular imagination, where it is an uprising of the masses, you know, revolting against the against the elites. That is, yeah, that doesn't work. That's And that's never worked. That's never been the case. People think that something like, for example, the communist revolution in Russia, they think that's what that was, but it wasn't. What the communist revolution in Russia was, was exactly what you've just described as happening in the Lib Dem party. It was a small organized minority headed by Lenin, who was a man of just pure will, who, who re essentially replaced the elite, and it, but, but just circulated his guys in. There was no meaningful change in the actual structure of the society because they never because they never can be all societies have a ruling class and a ruled class and all any revolution will ever amount to is a circulation of the elites it's it's just a, a swapping around of who's in control and so the communist revolution you know the organized minority of the bolsheviks just replaced the royal family and that and that and that was it and so i think that Anybody who talks about revolution as being a mass uprising has got it wrong. I agree with you there. But I think that, for one thing, I'm not so convinced about retaking, the idea of retaking, reclaiming um, institutions, as you're describing, because I think that, you know, all of the institutions, certainly in Britain, are occupied by, again, people that I will broadly call progressives, regime, regime people. Um, and they understand politics. As I was saying about Klaus Schwab before, they understand politics. So if they get a whiff, that you're trying to do some maneuvering or you're trying to you know bring your guys in and clear them out they'll just fire you because they understand how this stuff works and so i think the idea of retaking, retaking institutions is itself a little bit fanciful i think that you know we have to become our, our own organized minority in our own right and, uh, and well, uh here's the danger that is the danger uh by the way this this isn't where i expected us to go but i hope listeners and viewers find this interesting uh essentially it's what i studied at university which was uh, philosophy of politics amongst other things nick clegg who was leader of the liberal democrats and wanted to be in senior office and got to be the deputy prime minister just basically did an internal takeover and in my view ruined the party and the party's never really recovered tony blair did the same thing in the labor party he seized his opportunity he introduced something called new labor and he was fabulously successful now mm -hmm. donald trump in a sense did that in america 
And of those three, the one that seems writ large to me, uh, exposed in all its threadbare cynicism, is how the establishment in America are desperately trying to stop the outsider from taking control for another four years. Joe Biden doesn't mm. threaten the establishment, but Donald Trump does. And I think, whatever you think about the legality of his actions, I think the relentless attempt to pull him down is because he rocks the establishment boat. What's your mm. view? The regime are terrified of Trump, and that's been obvious, I mean, since he announced his intentions to run back in 2015. And I can understand why, because he is kind of a force of nature. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't suffer fools, and he doesn't think too deeply about these things. He just acts. And that's the one thing that our side just don't have. We don't have people who are willing to just act, because that was what Blair did. He acted, and then he asked questions later. And whatever you might make of that style of politics, again, Tony Blair's the guy, Tony, we live under Tony Blair's regime in Britain. And so, you know, he won, ultimately. And I think that the, uh, the story that we're seeing today of, you know, Trump uh, has been demanded to pay about 18 million to this, um, this lady who's, uh, who's accused him of defamation. Um, you know, this is, this is just the regime going after him in any way they can, making, and making up the reasons later, you know, kind of ad hoc. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if they are mad enough to actually try and put him in prison. Um, but interestingly enough, I think that, weirdly in a weird sort of a way if trump was to get re-elected that would actually be the best possible thing for america and when i say america i mean the american government and the american regime if they carry down carry on down this path with the likes of joe biden and the democrats they're just gonna they're gonna divide people even more and it will lead to terrible things happening i think um, whereas trump trump is a kind of return to the 1990s kind of fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of status quo, um, uh, where America is comfortable uh, and, and where America was the, the, the ruling ruling hegemon of the world. What, the, the best option for America, and I'm speaking from a value-free point of view, the best option is Trump as the president. And I'm not, Trump is not even really my guy. I respect him. And I think it's been, it's been interesting to see recently a lot of people coming out and saying, actually, do you know what? This guy's actually really reasonable. And a lot of the stuff he was saying was right. And he was really smeared by the mainstream media and by other regime sort of apparatus um, as this kind of like fascistic, racist figure. He's, he's not any of those. He's actually just a 90s Democrat, basically. And interestingly enough, he was a Democrat in the 90s. You know, that's what he actually represents. He's not a far-right leader. He's not a great man of history, even. He's just a return to the uh, to the 1990s, Amer a vision of America that had them, you know, conquer the world. Uh, this is interesting, and it, we're diverting a little bit from what I was intending to talk about, but I'm making the judgment from the chat that we're touching on interesting subjects. I mean, comment on that chat uh, in terms of my admission of making mistakes just a bloke says agree them who makes no mistakes in his life makes nothing of his life we learn more from our failures than we do our successes i'm going to come back to that in a minute uh uh Malibu agrees with that blodder says intending to become mps exactly they know it's game theory and democracy counts for now I tend to be agreeing with this. Seb Dangerfield, I agree with what you've said here. Justin Trudeau is admiring of the Chinese Communist Party too. Hmm. Yeah, but actually I'm admiring of the Chinese Communist Party because they're building the strongest economy in the world at the moment. Uh, and they play smart. They they take the manufacturing that we're too scared or uh, deluded uh, to continue with. Uh, just one more. Uh, 
Uh, Blod says, I'm not sure they're supposed to be sensible. They're supposed to be malleable puppets. That's very interesting. Just one thing about the uh, matter of making mistakes. And I do apologize to the person I was having an argument with yesterday. I was out of order. Here's the other problem. Politicians don't apologize. How does that look to you? And perhaps there's no difference in how younger and older people feel about that when politicians can't simply say, yeah, we, we did really mess up. In a strange sort of a way, I actually do respect that because, like, back to Blair, in fact, he was talking to, he did a podcast with Alistair Campbell uh, maybe 18 months ago, which I thought was really interesting because Alistair Campbell was saying to Blair, I still have nightmares about, you know, about Iraq and Afghanistan and all the rest of it. I don't know how I sleep at night. And, and he asked Blair, you know, so do you, do you have the same thing? And Blair was like, no, I made a decision and I stand by that decision. You know, I made a call. I had to make a call at the time. And I made that call. And in a, in a straight, I mean, I think it was a terrible call, obviously. And I think that Blair is the architect of the destruction of this country. But I respect the fact that he is willing to make a call, make a decision and stand by it, because that's what leadership is, ultimately. Um, so I think, again, I think not apologizing as a policy is not a great way to live your life because you're going to not have many friends. Um, but in politics, I think a certain amount of that is necessary if you want to be seen as a serious leader. If you're just apologizing for everything you do all the time, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, your government's gonna collapse because there will be people who are always, always, they're just out for blood. And the moment they, they, they sniff a little bit of blood in the water, the moment you say, "Oh, I'm sorry," they will just come after you and come after you, and they will not stop until you're, until you're, you know, like fled out of town. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's a, it's a combination. It's interesting. Charlie, I make no apology for going to a break in a moment. After that, I want to talk about policies and what you mm -hmm. think of uh, what's been said about climate about gender and a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, this is The Lembitobic Show on TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world providing news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. Stand with a free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. When I had my heart event close to four years ago, I was at the gym thought I deserve a coffee and thought I'll top up with fuel, ordered a coffee, but while I was pumping fuel I started to get chest pains. 
Then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Time flies when you're having fun. 15 minutes of me today, but another three hours tomorrow, including, of course, a debate about climate. I try to devote an hour each weekend towards that because you have the right to know the truth. And the truth is there is no climate emergency. We'll touch on this with my guest, the Gen Z spokesperson, uh, Charlie Downs. Uh, quite a discursive debate. Uh, one person asked me, how do you decide where to go with the discussion? I go which is where it's natural. Uh, I go where it's interesting, and hopefully I'm making the right calls. Uh, you can get involved. You can direct the discussion in real time by going to the TNT chat, and you can ask questions, and if I have time, I can read them out. Uh, interesting point here from Blodders. Iraq was such a monumental mess up. I paraphrase there. They can never accept responsibility even to themselves. And Hidden in Plain Sight says, um, for goodness sake, uh, what plan do these people, planet do these people live on if they can't see uh, that Blair or B. Liar is one of the most evil men uh, we have alive today, apart from all the others? Uh, Charlie, uh, thanks for still being with us. Uh, we've talked a lot about philosophy and we have drifted a little bit away from the question of Gen Z, but I think what you're saying is interesting, valuable, and hopefully is provoking conversations around the world. I want to now uh, spend the remaining time talking about policies. When I was an MP, I used to hear people saying the youth of today, and then some 60 or 70 year old would pronounce what they thought the youth believed. Well, let's get it from the horse's mouth. And I'd like to explore a few thoughts for you with you. First of all, one of my biggest concerns is about the environment, because I think that we're telling young people a lie. I think we're educating people to think that the world's going to end and it's the fault of humans, a kind of religious indoctrination. What do you think is happening? First of all, your own personal view. And what do you observe in people of your age and younger? Do they really, have they really swallowed this climate emergency baloney? Mm, so there's, there's, there's a few interesting things here. So I, I don't know whether it is because of the time that I've grown up in, but I instinctively do feel that taking care of the environment and using the power of the state to do that is a good thing and a necessary thing. Now, it's interesting. I said before that a large number of, you know, the majority of people my age are just apathetic to politics. Um, but I think that typically when you ask people, you know, when you ask normal people on the street, what's, you know, are you into politics at all? The main thing that they will say is not really, but I do care about the climate change, the climate emergency. I care about climate change. It is very, it's a, it's a, it's a ubiquitous issue. It's been very successfully uh, disseminated among the masses. Um, and young people in particular are very concerned about it. I think that's partly because young people tend to have a kind of messianic complex, uh, a feel that they, a feeling that they need to be the one to save the world. And I'm not going to lie to you. I feel that in myself very much. I mean, I'm 
this probably comes as no surprise because I'm on this show talking about the issues that we're talking about. Um, but I feel that people, yeah, they feel this kind of duty to save the world. And in, with, in the case of the climate emergency narrative, it's quite literally saving the world. Everyone is going to die if we don't do this. Um, now, in terms of my own view on that, I think that the climate emergency narrative is just that. It's a narrative um, that is very much in keeping with many of the other kind of regime narratives uh, that we've seen over the last few decades, um, because it's a crisis. You know, under the type of the, the type of state that we live under, everything is a crisis. Every, like, everything is a problem to be solved. And the solution is always expansion of government and, and infringement on uh, freedoms. Um, I think the climate emergency is a particularly potent example because you are literally telling everybody, you and everybody you love is going to die if you don't let us do this thing. Now, whether or not there is actually a climate crisis happening, I don't know that, right? I'm not a scientist, okay? I, I haven't read the studies. What I do think is that as a principle, looking after the environment is good and necessary and it's right. You know, God's given us this earth to take care of and it's our responsibility to do that. But that doesn't mean, you know, it's so funny to me that the solution for so many people, especially young people, to saving the environment is paving over farmlands with solar panels, killing, you know, killing livestock because they're producing too much, you know, poisonous gas or whatever, um, and basically transforming our world to look something like Cybertron from the Transformers. Now, Lemba, that's probably a little bit after your time. So I accept that. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like their, their vision of a green and pleasant future is 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 the, the land paved over with concrete, with wind turbines and solar panels literally everywhere. Whereas my my vision of a green future is is it's an England you know it's the England of my ancestors it's a green beautiful place where everything ev there's everything is in its right place Do you remember that Radiohead song everything in its right place you know everything is moving in harmony and actually I, I think a lot about that song I love Radiohead and I love that song because I think that it really actually gets to the heart of a lot of the problems that we have today especially among my generation because everything is not in its right place everything is in its wrong place you know my, my generation people my age feel like they have no place they feel atomized they feel um that, that that there is no that there is no sense of belonging in their society you know if you read some of the greatest um you know the greatest thinkers that have come out of this country thomas carlyle edmund burke they always talk about how you need belonging you need a place everybody needs to have a right place in society and now we we live in a, a, a society that's been burst into atoms where anyone can be anything and everyone's absolutely liberated but what that leads to is people kind of losing their mind because people need boundaries people need structure and if you don't have that people get weird people start dyeing their hair pink and calling themselves z and zer and all the rest of it it's all symptoms of a greater disease which is that we live in a time of disorder you know disorder oh, is the oh, rule of the day has been for a long so time so in terms of the environment, I want to talk about uh, what you've touched on there, which is gender politics. But in terms mm. of the environment, then, do younger voters, if they vote, do they determine how they vote based on which politician says there's a climate crisis? Would they vote for a politician who says, actually, this is rubbish? It varies, I think, because I think a lot of people vote without listing a lot of people don't care about ideas and policies at all right they just they just care about either social status um i.e you know appearing right on and progressive among their trendy friends um or they care about the actual the individual that they're voting for um trump is a very good example of this you know people didn't vote for the policies they voted for the man um or they or, or they do listen to the ideas but, but i would say that that's a minority now if somebody was to say you know the climate crisis is a hoax and it's all nonsense and you know and all the rest of it 
as much as you and I might agree with that, you know, to varying extents, I think most young people would be put off by that kind of rhetoric. Um, I think that somebody who comes in and says, I'm going to solve the climate crisis is going to be far more appealing to young people because that narrative has been so thoroughly imbibed um, throughout you know, our, our lives. Charlie, uh, just a bloke says, I disagree 100 percent with Charlie Downs on the need to apologize. It behoves us as responsible human beings to acknowledge our vulnerabilities and frailties, because that is what makes us human. That is nothing to be ashamed of. I tend to agree with just a bloke more than I agree with you on that, Charlie. Uh, Blodder says, what does taking care of the environment actually mean, Charlie? What does it mean? Well, for me, I care about far more tangible things like litter. Like, there's so much litter in this country. I live in Kent, right, the Garden of England, and there's litter everywhere. It's disgusting. Graffiti, you know, actually tangible, visible, uh, you know, th problems. Um, you know, even even pollution. You know, if you're if you're in the city, you can you can taste it, you can see it, you can smell it, and it's not pleasant to be around. You know, that's not what that's not what England was supposed to be. It was never supposed to be congested and 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 you have the air full of sort of, you know pollutants and i understand that the idea of pollu pollution is a very strong it, it, sadiq khan used it to post the ulez through which is a load of rubbish like the stats that that's he the used, mayor of, the mayor of london through. that is the mayor of london mayor of london that's right the statistics and studies that he used to justify the ultra low emission zone where for our uh, foreign uh, listeners foreign to the britain that is um you know if you want to drive through london uh, you have to pay a fine of, of uh, 12 pound 50. Um, if your car doesn't meet the standards, which is it's just a, it's just a tax on road users and it's punishing normal people who are just trying to get to work or who are just trying to you know, do whatever. Um, but they, you know, that was pushed through using bad statistics that did cite pollution um, and some of the other things I've said about. Now, I don't agree with that. and I think that's a load of rubbish, but that doesn't mean that pollution is not an important thing to address because it is. Um, you know, I don't want to live. I don't want to raise a family in a country that's dirty. I don't want to live, you know, raise a family in a country that is, you know, where you can't walk through the countryside without seeing trash everywhere. Um, so I think that those two, pollution and litter, those are two very tangible and actually quite easily fixable issues. Now, when it gets to the more abstract ideas of the climate, like what does that even mean? What are you actually referring, specifically what are you referring to when you see the climate? It's such a broad thing. And as such, it basically opens up, it opens up, uh, it allows you to use any solution because it is such a broad and ultimately meaningless term. It makes me very angry, actually, that young people are being frightened on this subject. I am something of a climate expert. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. Uh, and no green has ever been able to explain to me how human generated carbon dioxide can actually be wrecking our climate. We'll talk about that tomorrow on the show. I want to ask you about the other subject, which is repeatedly brought up uh, as something of great significance to young people, and that's gender politics, uh, that we have 104 different genders and so forth. How important is it for young voters to hear the leader of the Liberal Democrats saying, well, obviously women can have a penis, and Keir Starmer saying something similar? Now, this this for me is such an interesting issue because I actually don't tend to think about or talk about, you know, what gets called woke stuff. Um, OK. Um, where, OK, uh, Charlie's uh, frozen a little bit there. Uh, it's, it's frustrating because I really wanted to hear what Charlie had to say about that. Let me just go to the chat. Fascinating things. We'll see if we can get Charlie back in a moment. Uh, let me just go through some of the points that have been made here. Uh, uh, Seb Dangerfield says prosecuting people for ecocide, that's what it means to take care of the environment. Yes, yeah, Seb, I'm really concerned about this because ecocide or uh, 
the destruction of our environment being a, a some sort of a crime against humanity seems to me like nonsense. Uh, I, I agree with what Charlie said. Uh, in reality, if we take good care of our planet, we're just being responsible. But I don't think that should involve being really uh, ridiculously uh, uh, panicky about it and and putting all the hyperbole, which tends to go with the subject. Uh, Hemingway says, the youth preserves some illusion of radiance because the ability to be both surprised and disappointed has not yet worn away. Yes, but I quite like that myself sometimes, to be surprised and disappointed. I think when I stop being disappointed, I've become a cynic. I don't want to become a cynic. Uh, don't know, I'll come back to you in a minute, Charlie. I just want to read some of these. Uh, taking solvent toxins, transforming as a weapon. I highly doubt methane has anything uh, that to do with being very harmful to the environment. Plant-based gas is hardly petroleum. Distillate hydrocarbon infiltration. That's complicated. Thank you, Donna. I should have read that before uh, I read it out. And Blodder says they're being educated to belong to a global collective and worrying about stuff they can't see and can't affect. Uh, lots of comments going on there. Uh, and uh, Blodder's interprets what you're saying, Charlie, is uh, meaning actual local environment. But I just want to, I've only got a few minutes left here, Charlie, but I just really want to ask you about this, this gender question. Is this what young people spend their time talking about? Yeah, apologies for dropping off. Um, what I was saying was, I think the whole the whole woke thing, the idea of like, you know, there's a million genders and these are my pronouns and all the rest of it. It's a short run phenomenon. I think that we are not going to see it in a couple of years. It's going to be nowhere because what woke is fundamentally is it's woke is woke has no power in and of itself. It's it's a tool of power. It's been picked up by power and it can be discarded at a moment's notice. We saw this in uh, in 2020 when BLM were everywhere, right? BLM, it was all no, over the front of the Black Lives people. Matter. That's right. Yeah. And not just in America, but in Britain as well, where it, it makes no sense for, for that to be everywhere. But as a, as a manifestation of woke, which BLM was, it was picked up by the elites and, and you know, the airwaves were flooded with it. And at a moment's notice like that, it was gone overnight when it, when it wasn't useful anymore. Um, I think that's what woke is. I think there are a very small number of true believers, people who actually believe that kind of stuff. I think most people think it's just silly or they don't care or they don't understand it. So I think gender politics, the more important question, certainly for my generation, um, it comes back to, you know, that Radiohead song that I was saying about earlier, everything in its right place. I think that the genders, I'm not going to use that word. It's not gender, it's sex. That's all, that's all that's relevant. The sexes have a right place. Both have a right place. And to even acknowledge that that is the case is itself quite a revolutionary thought. You know, the, the idea, the, no, the notion that there is a right place for all things in the universe is a revolutionary thought because the, lib, the kind of post-war liberal paradigm we live in sees uh, the notion of a right place as being an oppress an instrument of oppression. Um, and I think that that's kind of a crazy view, because as I said before, people need place, people need belonging, people need boundaries. And so when you acknowledge that the genders have roles, uh, or sorry, the sexes rather, have roles, they have a right place, then that's, you know, people get upset by that because it's like, oh, you, you want to oppress people and you want to keep people down. No, I want to see people be happy. I want to see my generation not killing themselves at a record rate. I want to see suicide not be the main driver of male deaths in Britain uh, for, for men under the age of 40. And I think that come, you, you bring that about by a return to a recognition of the fact that everything has a right place. And the right way, the best way for the world to be is when everything is in its right place. So back to gender politics and people my age, what it comes down to is nobody is willing to admit or recognize the fact that uh you know we live in a society defined by disorder and that men and, and women we, have the place 
and, and we shall return we shall fix that disorder in the future like Francis of Assisi Charlie Downs thank you so much for a discursive conversation that brings me to the end of my time how those three hours have flown by I'll be back at 9am GMT tomorrow here I hope you've enjoyed it thanks for the chat as well uh, do let me know what you think 9am tomorrow don't be late and we'll be talking about the environment I'm Lemmetopic this is the Lemmetopic show right here on the home of free speech TNT <laughs> <laughs>